Welcome to the Albany Update with Reverend Jason J. McGuire, Executive Director of New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms. Now, with this week's Albany Update, here's Jason McGuire. Thank you for joining this week's edition of the Albany Update. Last week, the president of Planned Parenthood released an op-ed indicating that the abortion conglomerate would stop apologizing for its racist history under founder Margaret Sanger. Planned Parenthood is finally reckoning with its past, but it's still failing to reckon with its present, and that is a problem. Then, in Albany, Planned Parenthood's political allies continue to target New York's pro-life pregnancy centers. A bill that would hinder the vital work of pregnancy centers is on the move. Our organization is working to stop it. Even more troubling, though, is an effort to pass the New York Health Act. This legislation would virtually eliminate private health insurance in this state and move everyone to a costly, liberty-infringing, government-run health care plan. Then, if you haven't been to the state capitol lately, it's a dystopian-looking scene with no trespassing signs, fencing, concrete barriers, and other blockades that have been placed around the people's house but it's a metaphor of just how broken state government is. It's time to reopen the Capitol and restore constitutional rights, like the freedom to assemble. Finally, as a Christian organization, we believe in the power of prayer. There's a lot to pray about for our state and nation. We'll be offering some suggested prayer requests for the month of May. Let's get started. Planned Parenthood, America's largest abortion provider, has long revered Margaret Sanger. Sanger founded the organization that later became Planned Parenthood. For years, Planned Parenthood gave an annual award that was named after Sanger. One recipient of the prize was Hillary Clinton. In addition to helping form an organization that would become responsible for millions of deaths, Sanger also promoted eugenics and appeared at a Ku Klux Klan rally. Apparently, Sanger's history is no longer a comfortable fit for Planned Parenthood in this age of wokeness. The current head of Planned Parenthood, Alexis McGill-Johnson, penned a recent op-ed in the New York Times entitled, I'm the head of Planned Parenthood. We're done making excuses for our founder. The op-ed asserts that Planned Parenthood must reckon with Margaret Sanger's association with white supremacist groups and eugenics. As part of this reckoning, Planned Parenthood has removed Sanger's name from its annual award and has removed her name from a building in New York City. Johnson states that Sanger remains an influential part of her history and will not be erased, but adds that the organization must take responsibility for the harm she caused to various people and groups. Johnson goes on to acknowledge that her organization has been guilty of privileging whiteness and excluding trans and non-binary people, and that it is committed to righting these wrongs. Alexis McGill-Johnson is correct that her organization should confess its sins. She is also correct that Margaret Sanger's eugenicist rhetoric was despicable. Johnson is, however, completely oblivious to the reckoning that is most needed at Planned Parenthood, a reckoning for the organization's long-sorted history of taking innocent human life. Speaking of Planned Parenthood, on April 19th, the Pregnancy Center Report Bill was approved by the New York State Assembly Health Committee by a party-line vote of 19-7. to 7. The bill now proceeds to the Ways and Means Committee for further consideration. New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms opposes the Pregnancy Center Report Bill. It's being promoted by Planned Parenthood's political allies. The legislation would authorize the New York State Department of Health 
to study and report on pro-life pregnancy centers. If this bill were passed, it would harm pro-life pregnancy centers across New York in several ways. First, the bill would allow the state to harass pregnancy centers with burdensome, time-consuming, and intrusive information requests. New York's pregnancy centers have been down this road before. In 2002, then-New York Attorney General Elliot Spitzer subpoenaed 24 pregnancy centers and demanded that they turn over a wide range of information, including the names of their employees. Second, the Pregnancy Center Report Bill would likely be used by the state to pressure pregnancy centers to alter the way that they work. The 2002 Spitzer subpoena situation is instructive on this point. After his subpoenas were challenged in court, Spitzer withdrew them, but not before some pregnancy centers had agreed to changes in the messages that they communicated to their clients. Third, whatever report is eventually written by the state in accordance with the Pregnancy Center Report Bill could be used as support for an effort to shut down pregnancy centers altogether. Pro-life pregnancy centers do wonderful work. They encourage pregnant women to choose life. They provide peer counseling and practical support for mothers and babies. And they share the gospel. While the efforts of pregnancy center staff and volunteers are greatly valued in the Christian community, they are a threat to Planned Parenthood and other abortion providers who enrich themselves by taking the lives of the unborn. To put it bluntly, effective pregnancy centers decrease the earnings of abortion providers. It is the responsibility of Christians throughout New York to protect our pregnancy centers. If we fail to do so, the abortion industry and its allies would love nothing better than to put them out of business. Please contact your state legislators today and urge them to vote against the Pregnancy Center Report Bill. You'll find an action alert item at albanyupdate.com connect. And we have another story that's perhaps even more troubling than the last. The misguided and disastrous New York Health Act has been approved by the New York State Assembly Health Committee. Following a party-line vote of 19 to 7, the bill will now move to the Assembly Codes Committee for further consideration. The New York Health Act would create a government-controlled, single-payer health insurance system in the state of New York. It is no exaggeration to state that this bill, if passed, would sound a death knell for the Empire State. If the New York Health Act became law, most private health insurance would no longer be allowed. Instead, all New Yorkers would be eligible for enrollment in a proposed New York Health Program. Researchers estimate that the tax hikes required to fund the New York Health Act would annually range from $92 billion to $139 billion, or maybe $226 billion. The bottom line is, nobody knows, but it's enormous. Instead of providing a real funding mechanism for this costly proposal, the bill simply directs the governor to submit a revenue plan. This figure-it-out-later approach to funding an exorbitantly expensive program is unacceptable. New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms opposes the New York Health Act for several important reasons. First, the act is unnecessary. As of 2018, only 5.4% of New Yorkers were uninsured. It is not necessary to mandate a government takeover of health insurance to help 5.4% of New Yorkers obtain coverage and it is unconscionable to kick 94.6% of New York residents off of their existing insurance in a misguided effort to ensure coverage for the other 5.4%. Second, 
the act would incentivize the rationing of medical care and would leave high-cost patients with no alternatives if the government refused to provide coverage for their treatment. Third, the act would endanger religious liberty. Under the act, government would likely pressure faith-based healthcare providers into engaging in acts that violate their beliefs or leaving the healthcare field altogether. Do you want Christian doctors and faith-based hospitals to be pressured into performing abortions and so-called sex reassignment surgeries? Fourth, the massive tax increases needed to fund this proposal would be a fiscal nightmare and would motivate both employers and employees to flee the state in droves. The New York Health Act passed the Assembly each year from 2015 to 2018. The main battle to fend off this bill will be in the state Senate, which has never passed the legislation. If enough New Yorkers communicate their opposition to the New York Health Act to their legislators, perhaps Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins, a Democrat from Yonkers, and the members of her conference will decide against passing this harmful legislation. On another topic, and as continued progress has made against the COVID-19 pandemic, various government restrictions are being lifted in New York. Churches and other houses of worship are holding services at 50% capacity. On April 26th, capacity limits at museums and zoos are scheduled to be lifted to 50%, and capacity limits at movie theaters will rise to 33% of capacity. Large indoor arenas will be allowed to operate at 25% of capacity starting on May 19th. The relaxation of these restrictions is welcome. However, there is a notable exception to the reopening trend, the New York State Capitol. More than a year into the pandemic, the Capitol remains closed, completely closed to the general public. The website of the offices of general services tersely states, due to concerns regarding the COVID-19 virus, visitors are prohibited from entering until further notice. Furthermore, as Chris Churchill of the Albany Times Union has pointed out, some public spaces near the Capitol are also closed. At this writing, there is no scheduled date for the reopening of the Capitol. Why hasn't the Capitol reopened? If movie theaters, casinos, and museums can safely reopen, why can't the seat of government do the same? The answer, of course, is that the Capitol could be safely reopened to the public. However, keeping the Capitol closed is quite convenient for Governor Cuomo. This is the same governor who has imposed absurd limits on media access to his events in an effort to avoid keeping questions about the multiple scandals that have enveloped his administration this year. Keeping the public out of the Capitol makes it easier for the governor to control his own narrative. If the Capitol were open right now, who knows how many anti-Cuomo protests would be held. In fairness, members of the legislature may not miss the public interaction and public input they typically receive at the Capitol either. Here's the problem. Without access to the Capitol, New York voters are deprived of meaningful ways to influence elected officials. Even in normal circumstances, New York government is hardly a bastion of openness and transparency. However, COVID-19 has made the situation much worse. In an ordinary session year, voters demonstrate at the Capitol for causes they support, meet with legislators and staff, ask to speak with legislators outside the Senate and Assembly chambers during the legislative session, and greet legislators in the halls of the Capitol. None of this is possible while the Capitol remains closed to the public. 
When they do not receive public input, elected officials can easily become disconnected from the people they represent. It is especially irresponsible for the legislature to consider controversial non-emergency measures without allowing members of the public to make their voices heard. The freedom to assemble for purposes of public expression is a core freedom in the United States. The First Amendment states that Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. If New Yorkers cannot assemble at or near the Capitol, our freedom of assembly is unacceptably compromised. Governor Cuomo, it's time to reopen the Capitol. And finally today, New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms invites our friends and supporters to join us in bringing the following requests before the Lord during the month of May. That the recent legalization of marijuana would not lead to increased marijuana use or other damaging consequences. That cities and towns throughout New York would opt out of allowing marijuana to be cultivated or sold within their borders. That the Lord would dismantle the abortion industry, human trafficking, prostitution, the surrogacy industry, organized crime, the black market and hard drugs, the gambling industry, the marijuana industry, pornography, and all other enterprises that degrade human dignity or entice New Yorkers into addictive or self-destructive behavior. That the Lord would intervene to prevent the passage of any further ungodly laws in New York in 2021, and that the Lord would bring a revival to our state and nation causing our people to turn to him for salvation. Thank you for lifting these requests before the Lord. You have been listening to the Albany Update, hosted by the Reverend Jason J. McGuire, Executive Director of New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms. New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms exists to influence legislation and legislators for the Lord Jesus Christ. To learn more about this ministry, issues you've heard on the program, or to make a financial contribution in support of New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms, visit albanyupdate.com or call 585-225-2340. Additionally, you can mail correspondence to P.O. Box 107, Spencerport, New York, 14559. You can receive the latest legislative updates at facebook.com slash albanyupdate. Follow New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms on Twitter at Albany Update or sign up to receive the weekly Albany Update email by texting the word FREEDOM to 22828.